Open, outspoken, it's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Blake Williamson. Welcome to a new episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid's Survive and Thrive series. In this podcast, Dr. Blake Williamson invites a panel of Drs. Arjun Hura, Usi Womo-Obugo, and David Felstead to help answer an important question for surgeons in training and early years of residency. Should you pursue a fellowship? Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Survive and Thrive uh, from Ophthalmology Off the Grid. I'm Dr. Blake Williamson, your host today, and uh, we're here for a very exciting conversation, something that I think is super relevant for um, all those that are in training, uh, certainly in, in residency in the first uh, uh, few years, uh, and even in med, med school for folks who are looking at ophthalmology, and that's the whole topic of should you do a fellowship or, or why fellowship? Um, and so what we thought we'd do is we'd bring a few surgeons who are out in private practice now um, in the real world and uh, have experience sort of going through the idea of to, to fellowship or to not to fellowship. Um, so first off, we have uh, Arjan Hura from uh, Los Angeles, California. We also have uh, Usi Abugo, who's out in Virginia. And we also have Dave Felstead, who's in Arizona. And uh, they kind of have different paths. They have sort of different takes on why they went into what they did. Um, Arjun, maybe we'll start with you. Um, can you kind of talk to, to me about this? Because you were saying earlier that, that you met Dave uh, back at Millennial Eye several years ago, and y'all had this exact conversation. So kind of take me through your process and, and why you thought fellowship may be a thing you needed to do and, and what you ultimately did do. Yeah, thanks, Blake. Personally, for me, I discovered ophthalmology fairly late in medical school. And so I felt when it came time to apply, my application was a little rushed. I discovered this field I was really passionate about, really wanted to choose as my future profession. And I felt like I maybe didn't bring my strongest application forward just because I discovered ophthalmology so late. So when I started residency, I decided my main goal coming out of residency is going to be to become the best comprehensive ophthalmologist I can be. But I also want to thoroughly explore all the subspecialty options available from the get-go so that if I decide I want to do a fellowship, it's something I've thoroughly vetted and thought out. And you're absolutely right. I met Dave back at Millennial Eye, I think it was Louisville, Kentucky in 2019. Dave's about a year or two ahead of me. And I was sitting there as a PGY2 resident. To my left were people who had just started private practice refractive fellowships. They were only a month, month and a half in. And I was hearing about all the volume they were doing. They had already done 100, 200 cataracts, lots of cases of LASIK, involved with clinical trials, interfacing with industry. And then to my right, I heard some kind of polar opposite conversations for people who had chosen the more academic route for a more cornea refractive fellowship. So, and then it was me and Dave in the middle here, and I was sort of just feeling things out, maybe interested in the anterior segment. And Dave was trying to decide, does he do a fellowship or go straight into practice? And that's what led to a lot of our conversations. So I think this is a very relevant topic. 
For me personally, I ultimately decided to do a pure private practice cataract and refractive fellowship. I was under a lot of pressure I felt in residency, not direct pressure, but implicit pressure to do the traditional path, to do an academic fellowship, to do a cornea fellowship. And at the end of the day, I just had to ask myself, what is it I'm most passionate about? What naturally gets me most interested? What are things I've really enjoyed pursuing through research? And that ultimately was all refractive and cataract. And so I feel blessed that I happened to meet Bill Wiley surreptitiously at a meeting in Florida, the Advanced Refractive Congress meeting. And the rest is history. I went and shadowed the practice a year even before it was time to apply for fellowship. And then I interviewed not just at academic cornea fellowships, but at the hybrid fellowships, the private practice fellowships. And ultimately, I felt like that was the best fit for me. And I'm so glad I did that because those 13 months I view as a once in a lifetime opportunity to work alongside a true master cataract and refractive surgeon, experience the whole spectrum of refractive and cataract surgery, and then really to understand the nuances. And I feel to really become a very skilled and technical surgeon, there's no escaping it. Despite your natural ability, you have to do volume. And so I did about a thousand cataract cases in my year of fellowship. I did about 1,200 refractive cases, smile, LASIK, PRK, and I spent just as much time also in clinic. And so I came out a completely different surgeon, a completely different clinician than I was when I emerged from residency. And I view that experience as invaluable, something maybe that I could have pursued on my own, having not done a fellowship. And I think Dave, I don't want to spoil Dave's thunder. I think he'll get a little bit into that. But I personally think that it was such a committed year with dedicated mentors. I wouldn't trade that experience for the world. Talk a little bit more about that implicit pressure that you had, because I had something similar when I was coming out of Tulane, um, you know, to do something, anything other than just go straight on into uh, a private refractive practice, you know, fellowship. I did mine with my dad here at Williamson I, um, you know, but they just thought that was crazy. They said, what do you mean? You're not going to go do cornea at Baylor or, or UCLA or whatever, whatever wonderful institution uh, how did you, how did you feel that pressure? Did they, did they talk to you about that? Yeah, the pressure is interesting. I, I personally did my residency at the University of Cincinnati, had amazing attendings, amazing mentors. Everyone was fully supportive. So no one told me you're making a mistake. Don't do this. It was more that no one in the history of the residency program had ever done a private practice cataract or refractive fellowship. And with that comes some unknown. The attendings at these academic institutions, they're familiar with Bascom. They're familiar with Wills. They're familiar with Wilmer. They know what a traditional academic cornea fellowship is. They know the experience that one will have there. And a lot of those academic fellowships are obviously AUPO certified as well. The world of private practice fellowships is a totally different beast. There's a lot of phenomenal fellowships out there, and there's some that maybe aren't the best, and maybe sometimes the trainee can be taken advantage of. So understandably, they wanted, I think, what was best for me and I think when they realized I was doing my due diligence, and I had been for several years, like I said, researching fellowships from the get-go, ultimately, I think now that they've seen the experience I had and where I am now, you know, they're very happy for me. But it was a lot of pressure, and I, that's why I applied to the whole spectrum of anterior segment fellowships to really figure out what was right for me and what, what was it that I wanted to do. I love that you had that experience, and I love that you can bring that back to them because now the next you know, doc that wants to do something like that. Now you have a roadmap, you know, and I think that each year that goes by more and more private fellowship, you know, trained folks are out there, the more it becomes a little bit less controversial and fringe. Dave, what do you think? So, so, so Arjan was just t- talking about you guys met back in Louisville at Millennial Eye years ago. Should I do a fellowship? Should I not? He chose to, you chose not. So what do you know that, that he doesn't know? Why did, why did, uh, why did he make a, a different choice than you? 
I think RJ made the right choice, right? I think um, if I could have gone back and I had the time and the money and maybe a few less kids, um, a fellowship would have been a great choice for me. Um, you know, I didn't have that opportunity. I just needed to get out and start working and start paying down some loans. Um, so for me, I knew that I needed experience. I needed somebody to teach me some knowledge. And most importantly, I needed time in the operating room. Um, and, you know, I've just been learning on the go. And I, I think I've picked up everything I've wanted to at this point. Um, obviously, there's some things I need to continue to learn. Um, but I'm grateful for my experience. And I think those that are trying to decide between fellowship versus not fellowship, you need to really gauge yourself and figure out, can I do something on my own? Am I comfortable with making some mistakes? Am I comfortable learning? Um, am I comfortable trying new things without anybody there helping me? Um, I think those are kind of the, the key takeaways that I learned these past two years. Dave, did, did you have anybody in your practice that, that um, is there a senior partner or someone that like you could bounce things off of or like anybody that had OR, an OR day that was similar to yours that if you had a tough case, you know, maybe they could be nearby just for those first few months when you're kind of getting started? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my mentor is Dave McGarry. He's just a private practice guy that's in my same my same building. Um, and so, yeah, he was there to run refractive cases past. Um, he was there on my first day to kind of proctor me and watch me do things. But after that, it was basically on my own. I was, kind of felt lonely for a little bit, to be honest. Um, and jumping from six cases on my first day to 20 cases, you know, that I'm now doing on a, on a OR day, um, it took a little bit of time to get there and a few mistakes, to be honest. Um, but I think everybody does, even if you do a fellowship. Um, and I think that's what has made me a better surgeon is just getting comfortable knowing um, that it's a learning process and the faster you can kind of watch yourself grow and record your cases and watch those cases. Um, I think that helped me get better faster. Lucy, I want to bring you in here because you, know, you did not go into uh, cataract refractive. Uh, you, you, uh, you did something pretty serious. Can you talk a little bit about your training and kind of, uh, um, you know, what your decision was to go into to oculoplastics and, and, and what the fellowship opportunities are there because they have the ASOPers thing. I know they, they actually have some private ones as well. They have some that are combined with neuro, um, some different options there. My personal path um, maybe was a little different. When I was applying into ophthalmology, I was actually determined to be a pediatric ophthalmologist because I actually wanted to go into peds, but I fell in love with the back of the eye when we were doing some of our rotations. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, I typically tell my patients now that the only time I typically will see the back of the eye is when I'm taking the eye out. So my path has diverged quite a bit from pediatric ophthalmology, but one of the things that helped me decide was that during our first year, we had several rotations and I knew that I was interested in pediatric ophthalmology. So I was pretty blessed to do that first. And um, I discovered pretty early on that I loved the kids. I just did not like their parents. And then after that, I went into, I started to get interested in cornea. And I, after I did cornea, I was like, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I liked, I liked the surgeries. I liked the outcomes that I was seeing, but something just wasn't quite right. And then I remember one of the things that my mentors told me in medical school, um, I actually remember his name was Dr. Mickelfelder. And he told me that you want to do the one thing that you do and you realize that you haven't looked at the clock once. And when I got to the classics cases, I would realize that I was th so enthralled 
and excited by the cases that I really didn't watch the clock at all. And I think I was the only resident at the time that if I was called in the middle of the night for like an eyelid laceration or something like that, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Like it's like, put me in coach, you know? And so I knew that that was what I wanted to do. And after that, I pretty um, much pursued it wholeheartedly. I looked at the various types of fellowships that there are. And so within ASOPers and classics in general, you have the academic fellowships, you have the more private practice-based fellowships, and then also there are also um, different routes that some people might take to classics, such as uh, either doing maybe an, a year of oncology before doing their classics uh, fellowship or perhaps doing a neuro-ophthalmology fellowship as well. So there's a lot of different paths that you can take. The path that I took was actually to do a combined neuro-ophthalmology as well as a classics fellowship. When I was looking for my fellowships, I really wanted to make sure that I would have a good balance between the functional type of cases as well as the aesthetic cases. And a decent amount of the classics fellowships that I was looking at really did not have the, the, as much of the aesthetic component. And I found that even some of my colleagues who had gone through fellowship ended up needing to do um, probably another year or so of a purely aesthetic fellowship. And I really did not want to have to do that. When I did my fellowship, we had a really great mix. I actually met my fellowship director at uh, the Women in Ophthalmology uh, Conference. And uh, she was absolutely amazing. We did a lot of orbital trauma and she let me do a lot of uh, aesthetic uh, patients as well. And so I think that was kind of like my path was a little, a little different um, than some of the other paths, but um, it's all worked out very well. Yeah. If I'm, is it still correct that you have to, you have to like decide like first year of residency to go into plastics? That's what I remember. Like, and they're like, oh, if you want to do plastics, you better decide. And like the first six months. Yes. You do have to know pretty early. And that's just because it is it is an early match. And so you just have to get your stuff together really, really quickly. And as we all know, it's really hard to get uh, papers published and beyond book chapters and things like that. So the minute I found out, I reached out to some of my earlier mentors and they were able to connect me with um, some of their colleagues who were able to get me those publications that I needed, especially on the papers and the book chapters and um, to connect me to people to write my letters of recommendation pretty early on. So Jean, talk about, talk about how you, you mentioned that whenever y'all were sitting at Millennial High at the conference, you had a conversation to your left and a conversation to your right. And there were different conversations, people who were in the academic side, people who were in the uh, private practice fellowship side. Uh, what, what, what were you hearing from the academic side that you were kind of like, huh? I don't know if that's if that's what I envision myself doing or not. I have to choose my words very, very carefully here and be politically correct. But it was more someone not necessarily who was doing a traditional academic cornea fellowship, but a academic anterior segment fellowship. And said person was about a month and a half in at that time and felt like they, in their own words, had regressed to the level of a PGY3. They just 
weren't doing a lot of surgery. They were more just observing in clinic. They weren't as hands-on with patients. Um, and I could sense that frustration. And then again, I looked to my left and the person who was doing a private practice refractive cataract fellowship was over the moon and so happy and thrilled with the experience they had. They had already almost doubled their caseload from residency. They saw a clear path forward for them and they were really actualizing what they wanted to do in ophthalmology. So it, that's not when I made the decision by any means, but that experience at Millennial Eye, sitting there across from Dave and then hearing these other conversations around me, that certainly gave me the context with which I moved forward and helped interpret the rest of my experiences before it came time for me to apply for fellowship. I love it. You know, I'll be less politically correct. Uh, I think it's a complete waste of time if your goal is to do what you do and what I do. And it sounds like what Dave does. If your goal is to be a high volume cataract surgeon who also does all the refractive procedures, ICL, LASIK, PRK, et cetera. Um, I just don't think that the majority of the academic fellowships out there are really that at all. I'm at least speaking from my experience, you know, where I was training at Tulane, if I came out with what the Tulane cornea doc had, um, you know, plenty of graphs, plenty of PKs and DSEC, DMEC, and lots of open globes and lots of on-call staffing residents at two in the morning, uh, not really uh, learning a whole lot about business and, uh, you know, how to run a practice and uh, how to network with ODs and how to uh, grow your business and, and how to do all those things that I knew that I wanted to do to be a, a busy, you know, uh, refractive surgeon. So, you know, I think that, you know, what I'm, what I'm sort of hitting at here um, is not to, to downplay or poo-poo the idea of an academic fellowship at all. It's just to know what you're getting into. So I have lots of friends that, you know, I can name 10 off the top of my head who did academic fellowships who love them because that is their jam. They like the complex stuff. They like being a tertiary referral center. They like that case that two of their three other docs have seen and doesn't know what's going on. They like doing graphs and, you know, PKs and DMX and hardcore cornea. Um, they love publishing. They love the idea of being, having a blanket of a university uh, sort of around you for protection and all the, all the benefits that that provides. So there's lots of real, they love interfacing with residents, by the way, uh, on a routine basis. So there's many reasons why you'd go into it, but just know why you're doing it. You know, it's like the same thing. You know, you, I hear a lot of, you know, you know, docs who are in training saying, yeah, I'm going to go do a cornea fellowship at XYZ uh, um, institution um, because I want to live in Los Angeles or I want to live in New York City or some competitive place. And I'll do that for like five, 10 years. And then I'm going to just do cataracts and LASIK. And I'm like, what a waste. Like, like go into cornea at an academic institution because you want to be like the most hardcore cornea person ever. Um, you know, it just seems like you, you're kind of wasting your skills a bit. I, I think that what Dave has proven is that you can go into, you know, a, a place where people want to live um, and, and, and build a practice um, without having any type of, of fellowship at all. Uh, and just in a short couple of years, you know, at that volume, you're doing more cataract surgery than the majority of surgeons in this country. So, so you know, I don't think that you have to go get a name brand private fellowship behind you just to live in a competitive market. Dave, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I think if you're not going to get a name brand fellowship, then you need to understand how to make a name brand for yourself. Um, and it's something I'm still learning. Um, and I think there's many avenues and, and uh, social media accounts and ways to do that. Um, and I think looking at fellowships, it's a two-edged sword. Um, there are equally as many, probably not as good private practice fellowships as well. You know, you really need to vet those too and find out what type of surgery you're going to be doing, who's going to be teaching you, are they even going to let you 
And so I think the way that I vetted a lot of those before I made my final choice was just going to meetings, asking people, making a lot of phone calls and getting some really honest feedback that is only given in private you know, settings. Um, and I know a lot of friends that have gone to maybe not so great of fellowships and have still done really well. Um, so I think so much of it is dependent on the person and their individual drive and their individual goals. And just like you said, I think some people are very happy just being at an academic institution and seeing some really complex things and maybe not doing as much high volume. And other people like me are really, really happy doing bread and butter stuff all day long. Um, I, I really don't enjoy doing a lot of complex, you know, difficult things. Um, so I think it, it's really tailored to the individual. Yeah, life with uh, with uh, 17 children uh, like you have is complex enough. Uh, so I can see why you don't want to deal with that. Go ahead, Arjun. <laughs> There's so many great points there that I know we could delve into for hours. But when people, when residents come to me and ask, should I do a fellowship or not? Should I do a cornea fellowship? Should I do a refractive fellowship? I think Dave hit it on the head. You want to be true to yourself. I tell people to become an ophthalmologist is a rigorous process. We sacrifice our 20s, our early 30s, and then to go on and do an elective year of fellowship, a year that you don't have to do in maybe something you're not fully interested in because you think maybe that's what other people want you to do or because you have a name brand behind you from an academic institution that maybe you'll be able to get some coveted position. I just don't think is efficient and I don't think people will be happiest when they do that. If you're true to yourself and you pursue what you want to do, if you're driven, you're going to be successful. So people often look at the academic institutions and the allure of having this really great name behind them. And then they go into practice and are surprised that in private practice, they're maybe not thriving or as successful as they thought they would. And then they look at someone like David and they're like, wait a minute, he didn't do an academic fellowship. And how is he so successful at this point in time? You don't need a fellowship to be successful, but it will take time outside of a potential year of fellowship, going to conferences, staying up to date with the latest developments in the field, talking with people like who are in this group, who are engaged with the field, who can share clinical experiences that maybe you didn't get or already have before. That takes its own time away from family and friends to, to hone your craft and build. And so the advantage of doing a proper fellowship that's true to you is you get all of that condensed in one year. But as Dave has proven, you absolutely don't need to do it. But I think you shouldn't also just do a fellowship because that's what maybe your program director wants you to do, or that's what you think is necessary to network or, or get the kind of job you want. Lucy, what do you think about that? I mean, it, it seems like, and, and he's right, like it, it's a surprising number of people that, that, I, that I hear about or, or have met that did a cornea fellowship, quote unquote, and then just never did a transplant again or frankly, don't do a whole lot of surgery. Like sometimes it's like the default fellowship. You know, if you kind of don't know what you're going to do, you kind of go into cornea sometimes. It just seems like that to me. Like you don't kind of sort of go into retina. You don't kind of sort of go into plastics. Like if you're going into those things, you you want it, right? Is that is that fair? Or are there people who just kind of feel like, I don't know, maybe I'll go do oculoplastics? I think that... I think that would be fair. I think with the buy-in for oculoplastics is pretty big. You have to do a lot of uh, just like running around. You have to do a lot, a lot of projects, a lot of publications, a lot of networking. And for me, I, I don't think that if you're really not committed to it pretty early on, I don't think that you would be successful as far as getting a fellowship. And like I said, the buy-in for plastics is pretty is pretty high and you have to start pretty early. So I think that um, typically if you want to do plastics, you know, 
Um, it's not something that is general. And I've had uh, several residents just kind of talk to me pretty early on in their career as far as uh, knowing whether they should even do a plastics fellowship or not. And they basically wanted me to let them know whether they could do some of the general plastics procedures without actually having to do an oculoplastics fellowship. And for those residents, I was pretty honest. I think for the more complex things, yes, you absolutely do need to do a plastics fellowship. But for some of our standard things like an upper eyelid blepharoplasty or an ectropion or entropion repair, I think that if you've had enough experience and exposure during your residency training, you might be okay um, not doing a fellowship, for, but for the more complex things, I think you do need to have that fellowship training. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you my personal story. Uh, Arjan and Dave will probably laugh at this, but um, uh, I actually went on a, a semi-interview for Neuro-Ophthalmology Fellowship uh, at Mass Ioneer. Those who know me, um, it's so far from who I am now uh, and who I felt like I was. I, I, to your point, Arjun, I, I wasn't being true to myself. I was like, because I was getting pressure from my program. And I was like, you know, they were like, so all you want to do is just like cataracts and LASIK all day. And I was like, in my head, I was like, yeah. But, it, but, but I was kind of like, well, you know, maybe I should go do something else to add to the practice. And I went on a whole thing and like actually considered it for God's sakes. And Dave, to your point, I want to kind of bring you in because like you said, um, you know, you're really happy doing the bread and butter. Um, and boy, am I happy I didn't go do that fellowship. And boy, am I, because I'm the same way. Like when I see like these complex cataract cases, you know, with sewn in stuff at meetings, uh, these ICOMED Arsham Shabani specials, I'm I always tease Arsham. I was like, man, I could have done six cataracts by then, you know? I own my own ASC, so it's a different thing. I'm, I'm entrepreneurial in that way. I think like that, and, and, and that's okay, right? Because when you're training, you can't think like that. You know, it's, it's not, that's not right to think like that, right? It's so altruistic, and it's so, um, you want to do it all. You want to keep going and keep training and do another year and another year and another year. Sometimes, like, when you get to that point in residence, you're like, man, I think I'm kind of done. I think I'd like to do the bread and butter ophthalmology stuff. And if there's something complex, I really love that I don't have the word cornea specialist or glaucoma specialist behind my name. I do the cornea cases I want to do. I haven't done a pterygium in four years, you know, like even minor things like that. All that gets sent off. I don't consider myself a general ophthalmologist at all. Um, you know, there's far better general ophthalmologists than me, in my opinion, even in my own practice. So for me, it's all refractive, right? And that took a while for me to be okay with um talk about that i think i just would want to add that you know when you first start whatever walks through your door you kind of have to make a decision do i want to treat this for the next 20 years um and so right off the bat i told my practice i really don't want to see anybody under the age of 18 and i really don't want to see anything neurologic unless i you know it randomly happens um and of course i treat it if it's in my room but i don't want to i, I don't want to deal with that on a daily basis for the rest of my life um so being selective and I think, Usi, just to kind of um, prop you up, you know, there's no way I could do an upper bluff anymore. Um, and so, you know, I did plenty in residency, but you really forget those skills so quickly. Um, and so you sort of self-specialize as soon as you get out. Um, and where I live and work, I see a lot of crazy stuff come through my doors because I have, a, you know, just a very indigent population um, for four hours north of me, um, very, you know, high needs and low access to care. 
Um, so I still do trigem. I still do um, some glaucoma stuff. Um, but, you know, I pick that because I want to do it, not because I have to. Um, I'm always happy to, to refer if I need to. Yeah, I bet you're happy as can be, right? I mean, it's almost like people who force those things, then they have complications because they're not very good at them. They don't do them very often. And then they're kind of unhappy, right? And then bad things can happen, litigation, et cetera. So um, we just have a, a minute or two left here. I thought that um, we'd sort of wrap up and give Arjan the last word and then Usi to follow to bring us home. Uh, just sort of any, uh, any, any, any sort of just you know, parting wisdom, um, uh, any sort of things that you've taken uh, from this episode. Yeah, thanks, Blake. I would say for those residents who are considering fellowship, the earlier you can assess the lay of the land, the better. The more knowledgeable you'll be, the more empowered you'll be when it comes time to deciding, do I want to do a fellowship or not? And then if you do a fellowship, you won't look back, hopefully, with any regrets about the decision you made. And ophthalmology is such a wonderful field. It's small, but it's very large. You have people like everyone on this call who'd be more than happy to give their own advice, share their own personal stories. I have every year residents, medical students who come to me asking me what they should do. I'm always an open book, happy to share my story, my experience and happy to help make any connections that might help as well. So like I said before, be true to yourself, do what makes you happy, do what you want to do and what your context and situation allows for. Maybe it's not that traditional path you entered residency thinking you would pursue and that's okay. I would like to just add a little bit to that. I think that if you are considering doing a fellowship versus doing general ophthalmology, I would say get the, as much experience as you can early on. If you're interested in doing a fellowship, I literally would let every single person that I know, know that I want to do a fellowship and just make sure that after, like after hours, I'm getting some time um, with the types of patients that I'm hopefully going to be seeing and that I am making those connections that I need to pretty early on. I think that um, the words of my mentor apply definitely in the situation. He told me, like I said, to do the one thing that you don't watch the clock. And so that can be a fellowship, but honestly, that can be general ophthalmology as well. I love it. That's so true. I mean, you know, just go where the happiness is, right? That's how we found ophthalmology. Go find the happiest people and it tends to be ophthalmology. And then once you get in ophthalmology, it's kind of, again, find the happiest people and, and or, or it makes you happy. Um, uh, and that's what you're going to enjoy doing. So thank you so much, team. I appreciate you. I appreciate all the wisdom that we got here, all these different perspectives. I think this is great for everybody who's going through this right now. And I hope it helps some of y'all out there. This has been another episode of Survive and Thrive for Ophthalmology Off the Grid. I'm Dr. Blake Williamson. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Ophthalmology Off the Grid's Survive and Thrive series. And thank you to our guests, Drs. Hura, Abugo, and Feldstead for joining the show. Until next time.